0: God, we thank you so much uh, for today. We thank you for uh, the nurturing, caring heart of mothers and that, uh, just reflecting the caring, nurturing heart that you have for us. We pray, God, for all the moms in our church. We just pray, God, your special blessing upon them. Pray, God, that you would remind them of their identity in you and who they are in you and that that would be their source of strength, that would be their source of peace, that that would be their, um, their comfort, God, and joy. Uh, We pray that you would give them just a special um, awareness of your presence today and just a time of celebration of the children that you, uh, the the role that they have within their kids' lives and their families' lives and bless them in a powerful way. For God, for those in our church that today is very difficult, for whatever that reason is, we thank you, God, that you know why and we thank you that you walk with us. We thank you that we're not alone. And we pray just, God, your blessing of your presence, of peace, of comfort, God, we pray that you would uh, remind uh, everyone just of the fact that uh, the joy that you want to give us, um, the f- perfect parent that you are, and we just pray that you would find comfort, that we would find comfort in you. God, I pray that you would speak to all of us as we go into this next topic today and just in our emotion series, that you know that all the different things that we carry, all the different things that we process, the things that uh, bring us fear or worry, whatever that might be. And so I pray you would encourage us in those things this morning. We just thank you for the God that you are. Speak to us now. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, join me in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, you can turn there, click to there. Uh, if you're using the Bible in the pew, it's on page 982. Uh, while you're turning to that, let me just say we're in the third week of this series that we've been doing called Let's Talk About. Uh, in the spirit of We Don't Talk About Bruno from Encanto, Uh, We don't want to avoid these conversations. We want to lean into them. And so we've been talking about emotional health and different emotions and specifically what the Bible says about them and to get guidance and wisdom from the Lord and Scripture. Uh, Over the last two weeks, we've really established some basic foundational truths that the rest of the series is going to build on. And so two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we are, God made us as emotional beings, that our emotions reveal our hearts And the Lord has to lead them. Last week, we talked about our past. We said that just because God is a loving, caring God, that doesn't guarantee that bad days won't happen. And we need to acknowledge the bad days that we've had, as well as the good, and discover how those days influence. And so we talked about our past. So kind of building on these two realities, as we go into not only today, but the next few weeks, we want to start talking about some very specific topics and today, the first one, we're going to look at anxiety. What is anxiety? Well, the American Psychological Association defines anxiety as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worry or fe- worried or fearful thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. The Practical Encyclopedia of Christian Counseling defines it as anxiety is a subspecies of fear. The word refers to a general feeling of tension and concern that something fearful may happen. Now, these are concise, technical, in some ways, non-emotional definitions of emotions. And they're concise, trying to cover a really big, complex topic. Uh, These do not even express the reality that it is not a one-size-fits-all or a one-size-fits-all issue. Mary, Marcy Chapman and Lindsay Crokey are two moms from New Jersey who share in their story that they are both moms who deal with anxiety. In sharing their story, they were at a park once together and one of them was having a really rough day and they were there with their uh, four kids, two each, and while they were sharing and talking, their kids kept coming up and showing them things and bringing them flowers and I fell and while they were trying to have this conversation, And while one of them was more in tears and the other one was trying to console, one of them said, wouldn't it be great if there was a kid's book out there that could help us explain these moments to our kids? Because the kids were coming up. What's wrong, mommy? And trying to, how do you explain that to these kids? Well, they looked for a kid's book like that and they couldn't find one, so they wrote one. Here's the cover of it. Sometimes Mommy is Anxious, a little book about big feelings. Again, trying to explain to their kids what anxiety is and how it comes out, the different ways that it comes out in their mo- and within their mothers. And I want to share this book with you right now. It says this. Sometimes mommy may be full of tears, but trust me, there's no need to fear. It's okay. Mommy will always love you. Sometimes staying home all day is tough, but don't worry You are always enough. It's okay, mommy will always love you. Sometimes having a little help from the best can give mommy some much needed rest. It's okay, mommy will always love you. Sometimes mommy only wants to scrub and clean, but I promise that you are seen. It's okay, mommy will always love you. Sometimes when you're up to no good, Mommy may not react the way that she should. It's okay. Mommy will always love you. Sometimes Mommy doesn't want to go outside, even when there isn't a single cloud in the sky. It's okay. Mommy will always love you. Sometimes Mommy needs a mental break, but she'll be back for goodness sake. It's okay. Mommy will always love you. Sometimes mommy may breathe really, real fast, but I promise you it won't last. It's okay. Mommy will always love you. Sometimes mommy has reached her limit. Don't be upset. Just give her a minute. It's okay. Mommy will always love you. Sometimes you may feel all alone while mommy sits and stares at her phone. It's okay. Mommy will always love you. And sometimes that worried look on mommy's face can be fixed with your warm embrace. It's okay. Mommy will always love you. So when mommy gets anxious, what do you do? Just love your mommy and never, ever, ever stop being you. Mommy loves you. And again, I, I see this book and I love how they clearly explain the reality of the different ways that anxiety can comes out to their kids because moms experience anxiety. But moms are obviously not alone in it either. According to the World Population Review, anxiety was the most common mental health condition in the United States, has been, affecting roughly 40 million people nationwide. The same study says that even though anxiety disorders are treatable, less than 40% of people who suffer actually received treatment from a mental health professional. Another national study of mental health from 2013 to 2012, specifically focused on students at 373 colleges and universities, found that between those years, 2013 and 2021, there was a 110% increase of those struggling with anxiety. The study found that anxiety is the number one thing that students talk to counselors about. In a Bar- Barna study of young adults between 18 and 35, when asked to give a portrait of their emotions, the majority communicate that, that they have anxiety about important decisions, that it's widespread, as well as uncertainty about the future, a, feel of, a fear of failure, and a pressure to be successful. This doesn't even get into studies or stats to talk about teenagers or the elderly. Anxiety is something that we see now, but it's also something that has been seen throughout the history of the church, and yes, in the pages of Scripture. In a Christianity Today article from last year, an author, Ben Palpit, states this, History offers a long list of faithful God followers who fought anxiety or depression. Some for much of their lives. Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, Job, Elijah, Jonah, Hannah, even King David struggled as evidenced by the numerous psalms that he wrote. Even though he had tasted remarkable courage many times, even defeating a lion, a bear, and Goliath. Charles Spurgeon, William Cumper, G.K. Chesterton, and Mother Teresa likewise struggled. Some suffocated so badly beneath the weight that they ent- entertained suicidal thoughts not once, but many times. And then here's the kicker of what he says. Anxiety does not discriminate. It takes the strong and the weak, the cheerful and the melancholy, the spiritual juggernaut and the spiritual lightweight. C.S. Lewis said, You need not guess, for I will tell you, I am a great coward. When I think of pain, of anxiety that gnaws like the fire and loneliness that spreads out like a desert, if I knew any way of escape, I would crawl through sewers to find it anxiety is a real real issue and this is an important talking through these stats talking about these experiences talking about these individuals not only in history but now this is an important place to start in the conversation about anxiety as well as the place to start as we think about depression which we're going to talk about next week is to talk about the fact that it's common that it's normal that it's real if you experience anxiety you this is probably the most important thing that you need to hear today you are not a failure you are not broken you are human jp moreland who is a world-renowned theologian a professor has written countless books is seen as such an expert in the fields of philosophy and theology has written a book called Finding Quiet, talking about his immense struggles with anxiety, how he has dealt with them and what he's learned through scripture about them. I'm gonna be using this book a lot in this sermon and I would highly recommend that you check this book out. I've been trying to recommend resources. We've been sending them an email, posting them on social media and this is just one that I would highly, highly recommend whether you feel like anxiety is something that you do have to process or not, because the fact is it might not be an issue in your life. It might not be an issue in your life yet. But you might have others that you interact with. And this is just a helpful, helpful, practical book. He talks about, in his book, he says this. There is a very important coping device in these statistics. Talking about, he goes through a lot of different things similar to what I just did. There is a very important coping device in these statistics phrases like i'm alone i'm a sicko i'm a hopeless cause i'm a failure as a christian the next time thoughts like these come into your awareness remember that they are lies remember that they are lies change your self-talk to reflect the truth you are a normal member of society along with millions like you, and you live in a very stressful culture that is so individualistic that community and friendships are rare. Yet if you do the right things, it is quite likely you will make solid progress. You, if anxiety is something that you have to deal with, you are not a failure or a hopeless cause. You are not a bad parent. You are not a bad Christian. You are not a bad friend. You are not a bad anything. You are human what causes anxiety well again quoting finding quiet quite a bit today Moreland offers this list sometimes anxiety comes from genetic predispositions it's a biological issue it's part of just how we're wired and we might need to address that sometimes it can come from the parenting that we've experienced maybe we had overprotective parents over controllers or inconsistent responders Maybe we had early childhood experiences that fostered shame or insecurity. Maybe our current lifestyle is producing anxiety. He talks a lot about how stressful, fast-paced our world is today, and it's just a beacon for anxiety. But also the inability to predict or control the future as much as we would like. When you see that list, which one do you connect with? Maybe it's not just one, maybe it's a couple. And the reality is, is you might be like, no, I don't really struggle with anxiety, but I bet you connect with one of these realities. And so we need to be aware of these things because these things can produce anxiety in our lives. Think back to last week's message. We need to acknowledge the days that we've had to discover how our past experiences can influence us. Some of the triggers that we might have that trigger anxiety come from these places. And if we can identify the cause on our own or with help, then we can begin to navigate our anxiety in a healthier, better way. How do we do that? How do we navigate anxiety? Now again, this is a one sermon on a topic that is very complex and is very layered, and there's a lot of other information out there. And so this is only going to start to help us. Again, start to help us but, going to be helpful and practical, but there's a lot of other places we could also explore. But we have to start somewhere. And to me, the, this is a, anxiety is an issue the Bible definitely talks about, and Philippians 4, 4-7 is such a key, powerful passage. Philippians was a letter written by a guy named Paul during a time when he was actually imprisoned writing this letter from prison. And he talks a lot in this letter about the fact that God is always working on the people that we are, regardless of the situations we find ourselves in. That God is always with us. He is always caring for us. He is always attuned to us. He is always growing us to be more and more like Jesus. And so in the midst of that message, in the midst of those convictions, he says this to the church in Philippi and for us. He says, Rejoice, This short passage is a powerful practical way for us to be able to process our anxiety. The first thing it's going to help us with is this is to know that your identity in Jesus is your foundation. Your identity in Jesus is your foundation. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Again I'll say it, rejoice. Paul is telling them to rejoice throughout this letter. In fact, he says in chapter three, verse one, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it to safeguard your faith. I'm telling you to rejoice to protect your heart. I'm telling you to rejoice to protect your faith. I'm telling you to rejoice to protect your journey with the Lord. Rejoice, rejoice, He says, one more time for the people in the back, rejoice. You need to rejoice. Why is he saying this? This isn't just a don't worry, be happy call. Don't misunderstand what Paul is saying here. When he says rejoice, to rejoice in the Lord is an acknowledgement of the Lord. It's an acknowledging who he is, what he's like, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's about, what he's about. To rejoice is to connect who I am to who God is. It's to proclaim not only he is the Lord, but he's my Lord. You know, this is actually, again, one of the things, one of the sources, amongst the other list of things that I mentioned, one of the reasons, not exclusively, but one of the reasons why we might have stress and anxiety is that we make God number two, Or even further in our life, rather than number one in our lives. You are not a parent first and Christian second. You are not whatever your job is first and a Jesus follower second. You are not a student first and child of God second. You are not a fill in the blank with whatever we prioritize and then a believer in Jesus second. God is first. God is first. God leads. God is the Lord. And when we make him second or third or fourth or anywhere else down the line, we are inviting stress into our life. We are inviting anxiety into our life because we are putting something else in the first place that cannot guide us or cannot care for us. We rejoice to acknowledge God is first, to acknowledge who he is, And who he is to us. That's my God. And so is he first in your life? I mean, for some of us, that's the biggest thing right now to think through and acknowledge is regardless of anything else, regardless of your parents, regardless of the church, regardless of your job, is God first in your life? Because if God is not first in your life, then you have no foundation To build on, to deal with not only anxiety, but the rest of life. Your identity in Jesus is your foundation. The second thing, your identity in Jesus guides your thought process. Your identity in Jesus has to guide your thought process. He says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Be reasonable, think, process, evaluate, use discernment be mindful. Acknowledge who he is and then think in light of that. We talked about this here many times before. If our life is a car driving through the, the journey of life, our emotions should not be in the driver's seat. They're supposed to be in the car, but they're not supposed to be in charge. Dallas Willard says, feelings have a crucial role in life, but they must not be taken as a basis for action or character change. The role, that role falls to insight, understanding, and conviction of truth. So rejoicing focuses my heart on God, and reasonableness intentionally focuses my life on Him. Because we typically only focuses on, focus on the circumstances we find ourselves in. I'm dealing with this at school. I'm dealing with this with a friend. I'm dealing with this with my family. I'm dealing with this in work. But reasonableness adds an end statement to all of those things. I'm dealing with these friends and I know that God is with me. I'm dealing with this situation with work and I know God provides. I'm dealing with what these people are saying about me but, and I know though that God says this about me. To be reasonable is to think to not react, to not lash out, but to make sure our hearts are reminded of who he is. And he says, Let reasonableness, your reasonableness be evident. Do not be anxious about anything. How can he say not be anxious about anything when we've clearly established all of us will deal with anxiety, that it's a normal thing? Is God setting us up for failure? No, not at all. We've said everyone will experience anxiety in some different way. But that doesn't mean we have to be defined by it. And that's the key here. Do not be defined by your anxiety. Your anxiety is not your identity. This phrase of not being defined as anxious is connected to the idea of be reasonable. Think. Your identity is not how you're feeling right now. Your identity is in the Lord. This is not the only place we see in Scripture that calls us to think, to intentionally direct our thoughts and experiences to Jesus. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within him, so is he. Romans 12 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10 says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. In each and every situation we find ourselves in, whenever anxiety comes upon us, we must remember who we are and then process our anxiety in light of who we are in the Lord. I know that's really easier said than done though, Right? And so how do we do that? Well, Moreland actually gives a four-step process on how we can process our anxiety in light of who we are in the Lord. He really bases this on Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. He starts with this because we have to prayerfully invite God into this process. Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is anything, any offense, offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As we go through these different steps that he gives, it has to be underneath this prayerful guidance. God, search me. God, direct me. God, know my thoughts. Show me what's true and lead me. And so the steps that he gives, I want you to think about how the anxious thoughts that you might experience. Again, it might be a thing with grades. It might be a thing with friends. It might be a thing with family. It might be as you're going through your day. Kids, parents, spouse, friends, job, future, whatever it is. What is the anxious thought that comes into your mind? The first thing he says is when that thought comes in, we have to do relabeling. We have to do relabeling. We have to call out the thought. Relabeling is being mindful of the destructive anxiety-producing thought that is not tied to reality and calling it out. Anytime the Moss family is in the car, we could be driving through the city, driving down Lakeshore on a trip, whatever it is. We'll just be talking. We might be quiet. We might be listening to music, but the four of us will be in the car. We'll be driving down the road, and somebody will go, all right, who did it? Okay, I know it's Mother's Day, but we're using Father's Day humor for this part, so you got to go with me here, just to read out. And don't act like this hasn't happened in your car, because I know that it has. But we'll be driving along, and somebody will go, that's not supposed to be like that. That stinks. You've had that moment, right? What this first part is saying is, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've had a lot of thoughts come in my mind. That one stinks. That's not supposed to be in there. That's not healthy, that's destructive thinking. The fact is, is that we have so many thoughts go through our mind at any given time, sometimes we just let them go through and we don't call them out. And when the anxious thought comes in, you have to call it out. That stinks, that's not a healthy thought. So we relabel, that's the first thing that he tells us is relabel, when the uncomfortable, deceptive, destructive brain message comes in Acknowledge it has no connection to reality and call it out. That that's thought stinks. Then it's reframing. You have to name it. I mean this happens in the car. All right, who did it? Dad? I always get blamed every time. And it's hard the time, it's not me. It's usually Jeanette. No, I'm just kidding. But we who did it? We want to name it. We want to put the reality of it down. And that's what he's saying is: once you call out the trespassing destructive thought that stinks, then you have to identify it. Then you have to name it. And the reality is, is that we typically allow these thoughts into our minds without calling them out and without naming them because by naming them, we're removing the power the thought has over us. And so he gives a list of different ways that we have distorted thinking that we can name our thoughts. One of them is all or nothing thinking. If you're not perfect, then you're a total failure. Another way we could have distorted thinking, he says, is overgeneralizing, saying things like, I always do that, this always happens. Another way is mental filtering. You pick out one single negative detail and then you dwell on that and you see everything through that. He says, discounting the positive that, yeah, well, anybody could have done that, or anybody, it's not really that big of a deal. We minimize our part in things. We jump to conclusions, or we do mind reading, where you interpret others' actions, tone of voice, or body language in a negative way, or like fortune-telling, you assume and predict that others don't like you or things that are going to turn out bad. Magnification. You exaggerate your weaknesses or the harmful aspects of events, that have happened or may happen. You minimize your strengths or the odds that the event will never happen, and even if it did, things won't go bad. It's always over-exaggerated. Another way that we, have, we, have, we can name distorted thinking is by emotional reasoning, where the way that we feel is reality. And however we feel about something, we see as reality. We have inappropriate should statements, I should avoid being around people because they're not going to accept me. I should avoid being around people because they're not going to like me. We do self-labeling. I made a mistake, so I'm a failure. And we do self-blame. We blame ourselves for events that are outside of our control. He's saying that we have to, whatever the unhealthy thought that comes in that produces anxiety, we have to call it out. This stinks. You're not supposed to be in there and then name it. It's magnification. It's a mental filter. It's me jumping to conclusions. I'm self-labeling. Whatever that might thing might be. And the reality is, is that you might come in here and you might think, you know what, I don't have, I think, I'm thanking the Lord. I don't deal with anxiety. But then you see this list and it's like, maybe I do a little bit. And the reality is, is we can't kind of go to the extremes of I never deal with this or this is consuming my life we all will deal with things. We will all allow these type of thoughts into our mind at different times. And we have to call them out and name them, and then he says, we have to refocus them. We have to refocus them. We have to dismiss what's false and embrace what's true. This step of refocusing gives us permission to dismiss the negative thought, to reject it, to get rid of it, and embrace what is true about the Lord and what is true about us. Moreland, he describes it this way. He says this, You say to your distorted thought that you've called out, I know who you are. You are just a habit, a false habit that I can actually name. You are an example of emotional reasoning, his example. You have nothing to do with reality. I'm not going to waste my time entertaining you. I have better things to do right now. Goodbye. And dismissing the reality, but not just saying goodbye to it, but also welcoming what's true embracing what's true and this is what paul says in philippians brothers and sisters whatever's true honorable just pure lovely commendable if there's anything excellence if there's anything worthy of praise think about these things as we're being reasonable as we're processing the anxiety as we're calling it out naming it we have to dismiss it but then we have to think of what's true we have to refocus on the truth of our identity in jesus We have to refocus on the reality of joy and hope and purpose that the Lord gives us. We have to refocus on the grace and the mercy which he gives, which destroys shame and guilt. We have to refocus on what we can do and what is right in front of us. We have to refocus on enjoying the day that God has placed us in. We have to reject what's true, what's false, and embrace what's true. I mean, these, and then let me give you the fourth one. The fourth one is then revaluing. We reevaluate the cause. After the negative thought is powerless, after it's dismissed, it has no power over us, and we can safely come back to it, and we can ask, okay, why is this here? Why is this triggering me? Where is this coming from? And again, this step, you might not be able to get to this step right away, because anxiety might be rearing its head really quick. And so you have to prolong this one to you that the anxious thought has no control over you. But once you go through steps one through three enough where it's like, okay, I have a handle on this, then we go to step four. And maybe we have to do it with a friend. Maybe we have to do it with a counselor. We always do it with the Lord, but we start asking questions, okay, where is this coming from? Is there hurt that's producing this? Is there untrue words that somebody has said to me that are producing this? Is experiences I've had, whether it's abuse or bullying or failure or whatever that might be, what, what is causing these thoughts to come into my mind so that you can then deal with that so they stop coming? So he says to relabel, call out the thought, reframe, name the distorted thinking, refocus it, dismiss the falsehood and embrace the truth, and then revalue, safely evaluate the cause. Am I only, and this is something that, again, this is, to, to go through these steps, to go through this process, is going to feel like learning a new instrument, learning a new skill, practicing a sport, because it takes practice. The mental anxious thoughts that come into our mind are almost like muscle memory. But studies show that the, as much as we have these as natural thinking processes, they can be relearned. And this process helps us relearn things. This is not how it has to be. This is not who I am in the Lord. And the truth of the matter is this, but you have to practice it. And so maybe it's a matter of, I mean, again, we're going to share this information. Maybe it's getting the book and reading through this, printing out these steps and keeping them with you, but continually coming back when those thoughts come in to relabel, reframe, refocus, and then evaluate. For myself... Again, one way that this comes up, and again, just being honest, um, anytime, again, being really just being genuine here, if somebody says, hey, can I talk with you or can we meet, my mind will immediately go to they're upset with me, something's wrong, they're leaving, or I did something wrong. Without fail. It doesn't matter how long I've known the person. It doesn't matter how much uh, I know that they love me. If somebody says, hey, can we talk, I'm my disposition and I know the experiences where they come from. I know the causes of that. But if somebody, whether it's ministry stuff or anything, I've had friends ask me out and Jeanette out to dinner. And my thought is, okay, what, what did we do? What did I do? What are they going to bring up? And so that, that comes in my mind. That stinks. That is not healthy. That should not be in there. Well, naming it that is mental filtering, picking out one negative thing and seeing everything through that, that is jumping to conclusions and mind reading. I, can, I have to dismiss that. That's not how, what the truth is. That's not who they are. And even if they do have to say something, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. We can work through that. What is true about them? What is true about me? I've had to go through these steps to recalibrate that type of a thing. And it helps. You have something that comes in your mind, don't you? Let's just be really honest right now. Who has some anxious thought that comes into your mind that you can say, you know what, that stinks. I need to reject that and refocus that. Who has that? Everybody. If your hand didn't go up, it's because you you didn't want to drop your phone. We, We all deal with that. And so we have to go through this process of allowing Jesus to guide your thought process, to call out what stinks, name it, Reject it and refocus. It leads to the last thing really quick. Your identity in Jesus guards your life. He says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. To say that we have the peace of God isn't to say that bad things will stop happening. It doesn't mean that anxious thoughts will won't continue. It's to acknowledge the reality that God is in control. And so when these thoughts that stink come into our mind. And we're able to reject them and recalibrate. We're holding on to the truth of God at that point. We've rejected what's false and we're holding on to what's true. And when we're holding on to what's true and we're holding on to who is true, peace comes. Again, they're still in the situation, but there's peace within it because we're trusting the Lord. And the reality is that for some of you, you have to stop dealing with life alone. You have to stop trying to do it on your own. Figure it out on your own. Not allowing people in because it's only making it worse. We said this over the last two weeks. The less you talk about something, the less you're allowing healing to happen. We have to be able to talk about these ancient thoughts so that we can reject them and embrace what's true And the reality is, is that some of you in here, you might be thinking, you know what? Yeah, sure, I have these moments, but this isn't really a big issue in my life. Then you need to pray for the Lord for empathy and opportunities to encourage people that do experience it. This isn't something for us to think, oh, we're better, and man, what's up with these other people? This is an opportunity to come alongside people and encourage them, because people shouldn't be doing this alone. And sometimes they are going to need somebody to come alongside them to remind them of what's true as far as what's true about the Lord or what's true in their own lives. We are not meant to go through life alone. God wants to give us peace. We have to bring it our lives to him so that that can happen. C.S. Lewis said this, The dreadful thing, as you know, is the waking each morning, the moment at which it all flows back on one. He was writing a letter to a friend talking about different things that they were going through and he said, basically is saying, I can deal with all of this today. I can figure it all out today but I'm going to wake up tomorrow and it's, life is all going to come back. And the, that's just a reality. You're going to wake up and still be a student. Wake up and still be, have a job. Wake up and still be a parent. Still be a spouse. Still deal with life. Still deal with the future. It's all going to come back. But you know what else comes back in the morning? God's mercies are new every morning. In God's presence, he is always with us. And his love never took a nap, and his love never stopped, and he is there to walk with you. Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, and refreshment to your bones. Trusting the Lord not lean, to lean on your own understanding is to produce anxiety. To bring those things to him is to find healing and refreshment, to find the joy that our hearts are longing for. And I pray that you find that in him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the fact that you are with us. We thank you for the fact you care for us. We thank you for the fact that we're not alone. For anyone in here that is dealing with anxiety and processing it, I pray that you give them the tools from your word to be able to reject and refocus and, and see that, to take their thoughts captive for you. God, I pray for those of us who aren't struggling with this as much that you would give us empathy, that you would give us strength to encourage others in our families, in our church. God, I pray for those who don't know you that today would be the day of salvation, salvation that they would have that foundation to live on, to find peace and joy in. We just thank you so much for everything. We praise you in your name. Amen. We're going to do this last song. And this last song, especially in light of everything we've talked about, is a prayerful song, a prayer to God.